in three and two and one. Hi, everybody. Tim Anderson here, the appraiser's advocate. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We call this one Going Green with Woody Fincham. Woody, it's great to be with you. I appreciate it very much. How are you and your family? Oh, we're doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me on. I've uh, been listening to your show and I've been really enjoying it. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for coming back. Woody, give us a little background on yourself. Now, I don't think it's any secret that you're one of the green appraisal gurus of the United States. Give us a little background on how you came to that position and even more importantly, why you came to that position. Well, it's it's funny. Um, it, it was an opportunity. It, it's a story about opportunity more than anything else. So I had taken a couple of the green classes that the AI does and uh, I just took them for CE. And because I really enjoyed the instructor, Sandy Adamatis, who really, she really is the queen of green and uh, nothing but respect for her. What ended up happening was I was on an appointment with a real estate agent who uh, does a lot of new construction. I would met him on a just a normal, you know, our existing home. And we got to talking about it. And he was talking about how bothersome it was that he couldn't find appraisers that knew how to value PV solar panels or deal with high performance certified homes. And it got me thinking, I'm here. This is my market. Why shouldn't I be doing this work? Because you can uh, you can get a premium for this type of work. And I'd like to say that I'm no, nothing disparaging here, that I'm a hippie uh, and I came to green because it was something that I felt like it was socially responsible, which I do believe it is socially responsible. But that wasn't what led me there. It was I saw an opportunity, a business opportunity. And um, that was about four years ago. And that agent and I now do a monthly class for real estate agents in our market. And it's a, you know, an hour lunch and learn where we have agents come in and we talk to them about, you know, the different things that go on with it. It's, a, it's really been a great opportunity for, for everybody involved. Okay. Now, in addition, you're, you're also an SRA and yes, you have your uh, AIRRS, both of the Institute. Uh, Woody, tell us, other than what you had to take for those designations, what other classes, what other appraisals, a demonstration appraisal, whatever, what else did you have to do? To get competent in green, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, so there's three classes they offer on the residential side. Uh, two are specific to residential. One is introduction to green. The second class is a case study in residential green. And then the third class is a, uh, a class, it's a two-day class that's about valuing solar PV systems. And that's used for both the commercial and residential tracks. Uh, it's part of the Appraisal Institute's professional development program. So it's not really a certification. Uh, of any kind, but it does put you on a registry with other professionals. And matter of fact, it is the only professional development program that the Appraisal Institute offers to non-designated members to be on. They saw it as an opportunity to help the profession, particularly on the residential side, because there's just not a, a lot of people doing this kind of work. And because of that, they, they wanted to make everybody that was willing to try to do it uh, have a place or a home where they can show that they've, they've uh, gained competency. Now, you mentioned that you and our real estate agent offer a, a lunch and learn in our class on a monthly basis for uh, real estate agents. What do you cover in those classes? 
So there's four of us that get together. There's a real estate agent who specializes in green. There's myself. There is a solar company that comes in and talks about solar PV. And then we have a building scientist uh, certification person who comes in. He, uh, this is a, a guy that does um, blower door testing, looks at the energy envelope, and offers uh, solutions to folks that are trying to retrofit or even build new. Uh, they, they work on both existing and building. So what we do is we kind of cover the whole gambit. Everybody wants to talk about solar, so having the solar company there is important because, for lack of a better way to say it, it's sort of the sexy part of green. Everybody talks about it. Everybody wants solar panels or they think it's the coolest thing, but there's so many other things that are there. But what we really focus on more than anything, and particularly in my part of it, is I talk about how important real estate agents are to the whole process because they're the ones that are marketing the property. And they can make it very conspicuous that the property's green because not every green property you go into, you can tell that it's green right off the bat. It's not like there's a big sticker anywhere that says, hey, this is a green property. And there's elements of green that can be in there. So we talk all about that. And there's a, a problem we have that a lot of agents who don't understand it talk about. Uh, we talk about what's called greenwashing. And what that is, is, you know, maybe the property's got one green component like a, an Energy Star stove or an Energy Star air conditioner. But that's all they have. And nothing else about the property would be, quote, unquote, green. And it, we talk to them about how important it is not to try to market something as green when it's not. But when it is green, you want to be very conspicuous about it and pretty much shout, hey, this is a green property. Okay, let, let's follow up with that. The audience to my podcast are primarily appraisers. So sure. we're boots on the ground appraiser and somebody says, your client calls up, says, here, go out and appraise 1234 Elm Street. So we go out to appraise 1234 Elm Street. What is it that the boots on the ground appraiser is going to look for? to know that that is a green property, seeing as how you indicated there were no stickers on the door. So what does the boots on the ground appraiser look for? Well, in particular, when you're dealing with anything built from about 2008 on, 2012 on, somewhere in that, that era, there's a good possibility there are elements of green in the property already. So a good resource, I think, for a lot of appraisers to start with, number one, is when you're making the appointment, ask the question, does the property have a home a high-performance high certification. Uh, and every region has their own kind of version of that. Everybody, I think, nationally knows what HERS is. You mean H-E-R-S, uh, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. And um, and then you've got here locally, they're actually becoming a national entity, but it's called Pearl Home Certifications. That's a very well-known one here in my region. They, um, When Pearl gets involved, it's very conspicuous what's going on because they actually reach out to the agents and help educate them so the agents and the homeowners know to talk to the appraisers about it. They kind of give them a package of information for us. But it's really important that you ask the question up front, you know, is anything about the property green? Do you have solar panels? That kind of thing. But then when you get out to the property, you know, there are some things that you can see. I mean, obviously, if there's a solar panel, you'll see that. These homes typically are going to be very modern in the sense that they're very comfortable. They, they're very inviting usually because folks that are doing high performance homes generally are they're, they're more on the, the leading edge as far as what a property is going to look like for, for maximum um, uh, marketability, things like that. But it, it's the other thing that we always do starting out is we, we will start the uh, we start doing our research before we go out like all appraisers do. And one of the first places I go to is the HERS or the ResNA database, uh, which is uh, any property that has a HERS rating will be there. And so if, uh, and again, I'm, I'll mention Pearl, Pearl does her, uh, HERS ratings on every property that they certify. So if it's, if it's got a Pearl certification, it's also going to have HERS ratings as well. 
And that's sort of like a national repository for that type of thing. There's others out there like LEED and Earthcraft and things like that. But again, it's going to vary depending on what part of the country you're in. Okay, let's talk. Let's talk about basic construction from the basically from the foundation up, from the dirt up. Tell us what separates a quote-unquote green structure from a typical structure. And the the question I'm setting up is one of the difference in cost and the difference in value. So let's, from the ground up, let's talk about what differentiates a, a green structure, a green home, from a typical one. There's six elements to green building, and the, I mean th- this is the foundations. And if someone takes a class on green, like the intro class, this is really what the class is all about. Just from the fundamentals, there's uh, site, water, energy, materials, indoor environmental quality, and maintenance and operation. So starting for, with the very basic thing, site. How is the site oriented? Is there anything about the site that could be maximized for a high-performance home? Sometimes, it, like berm homes, can be one area where you can see someone taking advantage of going into the ground. We have a few of those around in my market because we're up in the mountains in the Piedmont area of Virginia. You know, how the house is oriented on the site can have a lot of effect. You know, the southern exposure from where the sun comes in. So if, if they want to try to do some type of passive heating or cooling on the property, how this how the house sits on the site can really affect that. And also uh, for the solar panels, if they have those, you know, the closer to the true south that uh, the panels are oriented, the, the better they will perform. And then going into the next thing, talking about water, you know, is is water being conserved on the property? Are there cisterns, things like that? Is water being used, repurposed like a gutter water or gray water being used to, is it collected in some fashion to like water the grass and things like that? Getting back to the site again, you know, having um, one of the things that like LEED looks at very strongly is uh, are they using, are the owners of the property utilizing local and, and natural uh, types of flora for the for the property they're not bringing in you know things that are going to be water intensive and things of that nature things that don't require a lot of upkeep and things that or a lot of water because water is a big deal uh, it's going to become a bigger deal i think as as, as we uh, uh, as time goes by of course energy is a big thing that's the third element energy is going to be you know what what does the home have in it that's going to maximize energy usage and, and efficiency? Uh, one of the things we talk about in the class and any of the material you'll read is uh, plug load. You know, the average home these days has a heavy plug load, and that's that gets down to do you have a deep freezer? Do you have multiple refrigerators? Do you have a lot of electronics that have to be plugged up and run all of the time? And if, if all of us remember the older homes, I mean, I remember growing up in the first house I grew up in when the uh, refrigerator compressor would kick in sometimes the lights would dim a little bit and what that meant was is there wasn't enough current coming into the property and it uh, it would pull it away from everything else when it first kicked on things like that a modern home that's uh, going to be set up for green is going to have you know adequate amperage for, for the property but we'll also um, have things uh, solar panels would definitely fit in here and then uh, LED lights and things of that nature those are all things that can contribute to uh, energy efficiency in the home you know after that's materials type of materials are being used in the property. There's volatile organic compounds. Those are called VOCs. That's another, uh, VOCs are anything that would be uh, harmful to an occupant. One of the things I learned when I was going through the classes was that formaldehyde is used quite a bit in building materials. And I learned more about that when we actually owned it. We had a parrot at one point. And apparently, like when you put carpet or some types of flooring in, they're treated with formaldehyde. And they will tell you that if you own a, uh, an exotic bird, that they're very susceptible to formaldehyde. It can kill them. So what they'll tell you is that, you know, 
you want non-VOC compounds in the property because, like, if you have if you do have a parrot, uh, and it sounds like I'm going off on a rabbit trail here, but the bird can actually die from it. So from the uh, just from the formaldehyde and the carpet and the padding. Yeah. It'll take it's four to six weeks sometimes for some of those. Now, most of the manufacturers are getting away from that stuff because the consumers have become aware of it. And uh, it's also a heavier industrial pull when they're, when they're making stuff like that. But there's lots of compounds like paint. There's a lot of uh, non-VOC paint out there now that, that's safer for people to be around. But what ends up happening over time, too, even after it's installed and everything kind of normalizes out, there's off-gassing on those, prop, uh, on those products as well. So over a period of time, there will be gases that will come out of those products and it can affect the, uh, the inhabitants of the home. If um, you have asthma or some type of respiratory issue, uh, it can a- it can uh, acerbate that. It can make it worse for the uh, for the occupants. So it really comes down to um, materials are important for that. You've also got you know materials that are friendly, like things that are not resource intensive. Uh, we're seeing a lot of, I haven't seen a lot of my market, but I know one of the high performance items we're seeing are uh, like recycled tires for the driveway rather than using asphalt. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually allowing the, the homeowner to recycle and, and utilize something that's just filling up landfills, but it's actually a very good product for that. You know, getting away from a lot of the petrols and things like that, you know, vinyl siding is not as popular as it used to be. They've gotten into the hardy plank or the concrete fiber board or hardboard, depending on what you want to call it. And then after that, I mean, we talk, I just talked a lot about VOCs, which is the fifth, the fifth element's indoor environmental quality. And that's, that really gets into the VOC issue, but that's also, you know, a lot of these things overlap. So materials uh, definitely contribute to the indoor air quality, but also, you know, how many air changes are happening on the property a day? There's a metric that you learn about called ACH, it's air change hourly. And the more air changes a day that the property has, that's more conditioned air that's going out into into the world. And that means that you have to spend more resource on keeping it heated or cooled depending on where it is. But there's also mechanical air changers and things like that. If you build a really, really, really tight home that doesn't breathe at all, you get things like mold and, and things like that. So a property does need to breathe, but you can control how much it needs to breathe. When you get up into areas like Alaska and Maine and where it's where the frost is the frost line's really, really deep. I mean they they're under ice a good part of the most of the year. So it would make sense you want to build your envelope on the property as if it's almost a refrigerator box. But if you don't have some air going in and out of the property, you end up with an issue of potential mold and, and other things that can happen with the property. So it's, it's extremely important that you have some of that. You don't want to build it too tight. And then maintenance and operations, the last one, um, that basically gets into how much resource does the homeowner going to, are they going to have to put into the property? And resource being time and money uh, and things of that nature. I mean, if it's, if it's something that's high maintenance, it may not necessarily be the best option for, for a homeowner. Uh, if it requires a tremendous amount of money to operate, then of course, you know, the market's probably going to reject it just because most homeowners don't want to spend a lot of time me- messing with the minutia of, of different systems. Let's talk about now cost. Now you've talked about the uh, recycling materials and you've talking, you've talked about building the home that is properly tight, but not hermetically sealed, et cetera. We're, we're going to get into the value issue in a minute, but let's just talk cost right now. So you've got two houses, you're dealing with the same floor plan, same size, they're right next to each other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. For all practical purposes, they're essentially the same house. One is built conventionally, one is built green. 
talk to us, please, about not only the the actual cost of construction of both, but then, as you just mentioned, the cost of maintaining both of those houses. How are they the same? How are they different and why? So initially, a home that's going to be, I, I, I really don't like the term green home. I like high performance home. Okay, the let's green, use that. High performance home. Yeah, go with that. Yeah, no worries. It's just, it's just one of those things. Um, you know, words are important in what we do. So a conventionally built home is going to be less expensive to build, but that's not where cost ends. Cost is going to end with how much it costs to operate the property over time. Uh, A high-performance home is going to be less expensive over time. There's going to be less money spent on utilities, less money uh, spent on some maintenance items. There's going to be less money spent on other things that a conventionally built home that's just – or conventionally built homes, another word for it is code build. Whatever the base code is at that time, generally speaking, high-performance homes are going to be several code versions – not several code versions, but are – it's going to be more sophisticated and more comprehensive than what was built as a code-built home. Because the builders, when they're building a code-built home, are just putting in what they have to put in. And with the high-performance home, you're going to see less maintenance costs over the period of time with it. It's also going to be a more comfortable home. Uh, generally speaking, high-performance homes uh, have better air quality and things of that nature. So the, the occupants tend to be a little more um, – they enjoy the home more. It's, a, it's you know, the temperature is always good. It, it's not costing a lot of money to, to operate the, the systems in the property. Where your code-built home is going to require things that generally they're going to be less durable mechanical systems are generally being used. And a code-built homes also not – they don't particularly care about how they orient it on the site. We All the appraisers listening to this know when a developer is putting a subdivision together, they try to cluster the development in such a way they can fit the maximum amount of homes in there. And when you get into the subdivisions where they're thinking about uh, how things are sited, they're not necessarily trying to get more units. And they want to maximize their units, but they also want to make sure that they're putting out a um, an environment or a community that's situated in such a way that all the homes are taking advantage of, of the sites the best way. So it's not all just all about density, density, density with those guys. But, the, I mean, the cost is more. There's no way around that. But, you know, it's one of those things you pay a little bit more now and pay a little bit less over time. So that, that's kind of how that works out. Okay, so let's take this to its logical conclusion. It costs a little bit more. Now, generally, and I realize that, you know, markets are different all across the country. But generally, all other things being equal, are buyers willing to pay the premium to own a high-performance home? Yes and no. It depends on where you live. You know, being an instructor myself, you know, I travel around, so I get to teach in all kinds of different places. Uh, I get to hear what all the appraisers, boots-on-the-ground guys are doing, gals are doing out there. I go to some markets, and they will tar and feather you if you start talking about green because they're like, we don't have that here. It's not only do we not have it here, but we don't want it here. It's it's almost comical sometimes in those situations. because uh, you know, it, it, when you instruct, you're trying to you're working a room of people, not unlike a comedian. You know, you're trying to read the room as you're going, and if you say the wrong thing, people are going to throw things at. You. But um, as you go to different communities around the country, you, you you learn that you know this works really well in some and not so well in others. I live in Charlottesville, Virginia. That's the center of my my market, and I think because of the university being here. Uh, and it's a relatively young population. A lot of professionals are here, a lot of research companies, things of that nature, working with the medical school and what have you. A lot of folks here, it's a lifestyle thing for them. So we have a lot of communities here. Uh, and for many years now, they've been building high-performance homes. And we definitely see a market premium here for it. People are willing to pay for it. A lot of the folks that are coming into the market, um, here, I hear, because, you know, we're talking to agents and brokers all the time. Uh, I mean, a good appraiser wants to know what's going on 
on out there. And agents and brokers are great resources for that. And I'm, I'm always quizzing them whenever I see them. It's like, you know, what, what, what are your buyers and sellers talking about? Particularly, what are the buyers looking for? And it's always a surprise to hear uh, some of the things they have to say. But when it gets to the high performance stuff, there are people walking into our market on a daily basis going, I want a home with a HERS score of 40 or less because we want to put solar on it and we want to make it a net zero home, meaning that the solar they literally have to pull no energy out of the grid. It produces enough energy for the property. And, you, and generally speaking, you have to have a HERS score of 40 or less. It's kind of like a golf score, the lower the better. So a home that's been built uh, that can get a 40 or less score and you put the proper sized uh, professionally installed solar PV system on it, they're, they're not going to be paying the power company anything other than they have to be hooked to the grid in some communities. They pay a fee for that, but that's the only money that goes to the utility company. Um, there are people asking for that. There are lots of builders out here that do that. They, uh, they design the homes like that from the ground up. Uh, and, and even their minimum packages will have a lot of energy resources in it. So we're definitely seeing it in my market. There's other markets around the country where that's true as well. I, I hear a lot of it on the West Coast. There's a lot of folks out there that uh, are really into it. But I think it really comes down to lifestyle. I mean, uh, uh, some places it's going to be really, really important and others it's not. I did a, um, a conference up in Philadelphia last year. One, one of the realtors up there had caught wind of me and uh, wanted me to come up and talk about the valuation aspect of, of, of high-performance homes. Where I live, the people would be a little more in tune with how much they're spending, and they don't, I guess they just haven't figured that out yet, or the builders haven't figured out how to market it in a way where it's really become part of the um, uh, the lexicon up there for home buyers. But I mean, we absolutely see it here in Charlottesville, and we've got a lot of folks building affordable, a lot of developers and builders are getting into affordable housing, and they are putting solar panels and they're putting uh, high performance ratings on those as well, because those are people that are going to own a, own a home that don't have a lot of means. And they're like, well, let's get them a good leg up when they're starting in the home the home owning process. So we're seeing it in really all levels of the market here, which I think is probably unusual for the bigger, for the larger market for the whole country. But uh, I think it's definitely something that's growing. It's certainly not going away. Or I think we're going to see more adoption in other markets as, as time progresses. Let's talk about taking an existing home and retrofitting it, if that's the right word, retrofitting it so that it becomes a high-performance home. First of all, first question is, is that even possible? Absolutely. Uh, there's a whole um, cottage industry out there of contractors and builders uh, that are into retrofitting homes. Usually in a situation like that, you're going to hire someone to do some consulting for you. Uh, I mentioned uh, in the presentations that we do monthly, we have a building science person who comes out and talks. Well, that's what that guy does. He um, he will, uh, if you have an existing home and you want to start figuring, trying to figure out what you can do to make your home more efficient, more green, or a high-performance home, or however you want to tag it, he goes out. He will do a blower door test on the property. He will go around. He checks the envelope, looks at the mechanical systems in the property. And for a couple hundred, few hundred dollars, you get a report that says, okay, this is what you have. And here are some cost-effective improvements you can make. Here are some more uh, expensive improvements. And if you really want to, you know, go all in and spend some serious uh, uh, renovation money on it, these are some other options that you would have as well. That person's also consulting with them in such a way to say, you know, you're going to get more bang for your buck doing this. Like, you know, I, I was saying earlier, everybody thinks solar is really sexy, right? Well, Throwing a solar panel system on a property that's built in 1930, that's balloon framed, that it leaks like a sieve, doesn't do you a whole lot of good. It's probably not where you want to start. It's not the most cost-effective thing for you to do. 
probably in a property like that, what the consultant's going to tell you is you need to get in and tighten up your envelope. Uh, you know, balloon framing. You need to go in and put some uh, some blocking in the uh, in the wall spaces because uh, as all of us who appraise homes, we should know that a balloon framed home it basically is an open cavity all the way from the foundation all the way to the uh, top plate uh, on the uh, where the ceiling meets the roof. And on a two-story home, that's a quite a bit of cavity to have on a, on a property. And some of those properties at 10 and 12-foot ceilings, uh, it's a lot of space and a lot, of, a lot of air breathes through it. So you can go in and insulate. You can weather strip. You can do things of that nature that are more cost-effective, that are not as, as expensive. And you'll get a better return on that than you would say on, you know, going out and, uh, like, replacing all the windows. I mean, that's not necessarily the, uh, a great investment either. 90% of your wall area is wall, and then you got 10% of its window. You're going to get more cost effectiveness out of dealing with that 90% than you would be with, you know, spending a lot of money per window. You can weather strip and do all kinds of things, caulking with windows to to to, to kind of uh, maximize the performance that you already have. But that that's really where you start with it. And there's a like I said, a whole cottage industry built on just doing that type of thing. Uh, there's a lot of retrofit contractors here. Now it is more expensive per foot if you get into like remodeling a home, as we all know. Building it from the ground up is always the most cost-effective way to do it. But if you're retrofitting, you know, you, it's going to cost you a little bit more to do it, but it's going to be worth it if it's if it's a home that you uh, you plan on spending some time in. You mentioned the cottage industry. Are appraisers, especially if they're trained as you are, are appraisers in a unique situation to advise homeowners relative to the financial feasibility of either building a high-performance home or retrofitting an existing home? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, well, you can do feasibility studies, taking a look at, you know, this is what you've got, this is your baseline, and then based on a hypothetical on what the information that we're going to gather from what they're going to do, you can then figure out what's going to happen. One of the types that I do, you know, several times a year, uh, and I think we're going to see an increase in this. I've got several solar companies wanting that have been kind of knocking at our door, wanting us to, to come out and work with them, is that the uh, a lot of folks want to know, well, what happens if I put a solar system on the home and I've got to move in five years, but it's going to take me 12 years to recoup the investment that we put on there to get our ROI, uh, return on investment. So what we can do as an appraiser is we can provide to them, well, this is what the actual immediate effect to the real property is going to have by putting the system on. I can't say that it will never happen. But I've yet to do an assignment where we didn't see some premium added to the property uh, in my markets uh, when someone put a solar system on. But the cost to put it on is generally a lot more than what you're going to get an immediate bump from in value. So that's a type of feasibility study that we can do. Uh, the same thing with any type of retrofitting that you're doing, because the idea would be if you're going to do all this work, go ahead and spend the money on a, on a building scientist to come out and give your home a certification or, or, or metric out exactly what's going on there. And I guess that's a good place to bring in and talk about the Appraisal Institute's um, Residential Green and Energy Efficient Addendum. They, um, the AI has put together um, a multi-page addendum that is designed for the appraiser to give to like a building science person, a HERS rater, a builder, whoever uh, is involved with the process that knows all the ins and outs of the technology that's going into the property. They fill that out and give it back to the appraiser. And what it gives the appraiser is a tool to actually, actually be able to metric what this property has and doesn't have. And based on what the property has, you can you know figure out, well, here are properties without any of these features, and I've got properties here with these features. Paired sales, you can figure out a premium pretty easily that way. As we're getting ready to wrap up, you mentioned earlier there were databases appraisers could access 
to get information all, on all of this in, uh, all of this stuff. Would you go over those sure. again, please? So there's the resident database, which is where the HERS ratings end up, H-E-R-S. They will, what that database does, it keeps a, uh, all the properties in a given zip code or city that have HERS ratings. And it will tell you what the HERS ratings are, when the rating was done, and that kind of thing. So it's a great place to start. Pearl, I mentioned Pearl earlier, and again, they're kind of more of a regional thing. It's becoming national. You can go in and search for Pearl certified homes as well. I would imagine that other uh, rating systems out there or certification systems have similar things. The one thing that we don't have that I wish we really did have was a solar PV database because it's private industry. They, they all won't come together and, and put a master database together of all the homes that have solar because it's, I, I can't tell you, how many times just in the last two weeks I've walked onto a property and didn't know it had solar until I got there. That changes the whole assignment uh, scope because now I've got another element of the realty that I got. I have to give a value to one way or the other. Sometimes they'll tell you on the phone. Sometimes they won't. And you get out there, it's like, oh, you have a solar panel. <laughs> so uh, that would be a great add, a value add to our business. But those are the two main ones that I deal with all the time. I'm not sure if LEED does one or not. I should know that. But LEED's not a big thing on the residential side where I'm at. You see a lot in the big cities for commercial buildings, particularly office buildings. Has become a, a, a huge driver for uh, for, for green in, in the commercial space. Now, these databases are they free to anybody to access, or are they do you have to subscribe to something? Uh, no, they're free. Um, ResNet will allow you to get into their database, but if you are an appraisal to do green registry uh, uh, participant, you've been through the classes. Or, or you're a designated member of the AI, you can get into the ResNet database. They give you more information. It's a more robust set of information that you can get. Uh, I've never actually seen what a non-designated person's uh, access looks like, but I've been told by the folks who maintain it that they uh, they give just cursory information for anyone else. But uh, with the partnership with the Appraisal Institute, they have all the information they have on file available. Okay, Woody, if someone were to have more questions, uh, would it be possible for them to call you and consult with you? Absolutely. It's a, I've, I try to help folks all the time. I mean, a couple of weeks ago on one of the Facebook groups, a young lady who's working down in Florida in your neck of the woods, and I'm right about that, Tim. You're, you are in Florida, right? Well, according to my driver's license, yeah. <laughs> I remember you doing your bicycle trip to, on the Keys. Yep, so, my, uh, da my daughter and I rode from Key Largo to Key West, 130 miles, yep. But uh, a VA appraiser was running into it, and the, and the RLC, the regional loan center down there told the, the, the appraiser that you either appraise it or we're going to take you off the list. So this person was like, what do I do? I saw it on Facebook, and I was like, look, let me help you. I actually helped this appraiser go through what they needed to do uh, to do the uh, – because they, they didn't have any sales to pair with. So we used the discounted cash flow analysis uh, technique that you learn in the solar class uh, using solar PV. Um, um, PV value is, is the name of the website. But that's a that's a tool that you need to understand how to use. What's your email address, Woody? W. Fincham, F-I-N-C-H-A-M, at acurity, A-C-C-U-R-I-T-Y.com. And uh, then, uh, so you're available for consulting either on a short-term or a long-term basis? 
I have a few appraiser uh, uh, clients out there that actually, when they get these, they don't do them very often. They don't see a benefit of getting the class just yet. So we've actually worked with them. They've actually retained us to come in as an expert to work with them on it. Uh, and there's, uh, you know, anytime an appraiser gets stuck on an assignment, we've, we've done some one-off helps with some folks as well. Okay. All right, Woody, I want to thank you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your expertise. And as we record this, we're in the middle of the coronavirus issue, and you're staying safe and 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 well, right? We're taking lots of precautions. I'm still in the field. Nobody else on my staff, I'm, I'm not letting them out. We have found that there's a real need in the community for appraisers to be active. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, a lot of our um, colleagues are beyond the 60-year mark. And uh, that seems now be nice. Be nice to me, Woody. Be nice. Absolutely. I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> but the, there's a lot of folks that for good reasons are not going out and doing inspections. And as uh, this whole thing's evolved out, you know, we don't know what the GSEs really want us to do yet. And the GSEs actually don't make the final decision on it. It's it's going to be individual banks and investors who are, who are doing that. And uh, so a lot of appraisers have said, I can't work. So what's happened here in my market is there's just a few of us that are actually actively, actively appraising at the moment. Rather than having come to a standstill, we're trying to contribute to it. I mean, we're in a situation where we could charge more, but we're not. We're just doing it at our standard fee. But the problem is, is I'm getting so backed up with work right now that I, 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 I mean, we're scheduling weeks out at this point uh, because we just can't handle all the volume. Because I know of at least six or seven appraisers right now who are not. They, they're taking time off, and, and rightfully so. They're trying to protect their health. Now, before we went on the air, you were talking to me. You do wear booties. You do wear gloves. You don't touch anything in the house. You ask the homeowner to have the lights on and the doors open, correct? Yeah, what we do is we ask them to make sure all the doors to all the rooms are open. If they have any like salient features worth looking at in the closets, to so please open those as well. If you have attic access that drops down, please open that for us. Anything that requires me to put my hands on something, we're asking that they um, they operate that for us. If you have pets, because, you know, pets don't spread the disease from what we understand, but people do touch the pets. I, I'm assuming that the virus can go surface to surface that way. So we ask them to put the pets away, which we normally do anyway, because you don't want to get bitten uh, inadvertently. But lots of hand sanitizer, lots of hand washing. Uh, and staying away from fast food windows is really important because I, since I'm the only person inspecting for the company, if I get sick, we uh, we won't be working for a while. <laughs> so. Yeah, you're you're in a key position, so yeah, you've got to be careful. Again, Woody, thank you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your expertise. I appreciate your ability and willingness to share with us. Thank you very much. My best to your family. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. I surely appreciate it. So does Woody. This is Tim Anderson, the Appraiser's Advocate. If I can ever be of help to you, please get in touch with me, Tim at theappraisersadvocate.com, or get in touch with Woody, wfincham at acurity.com. Thanks so much, everybody. In three, in two, in one, and we're clear. You too, Tim. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Woody. Bye-bye now.